This morning, we will be looking at the Eighth Commandment. We are making our way through the Ten Commandments. For those of you who weren't here last week, it was a real doozy. And uh, I, I think it was one of those topics that everyone thought I would be nervous about, but really it was you guys that were nervous. So I had it easy. I knew where I was going and what I was talking about. At least I thought I did. Um, and as we look through the Ten Commandments, we're in that section... Last week, it was two Hebrew words. This week, it's two Hebrew words. Thou shalt not steal. That's English. In Hebrew, it's just two words. Again, you can ask Thomas later how to say those words. Um, But you really have four in a row. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And don't spread a false witness. That really deal with four of the major epidemics of our world, right? Power. Murder. Wait, murder is power. Power, right? Sex. That was last week. This week is stealing or theft or greed and money, right? And then next week we'll look at reputation. So these are the big things of of the Christian world. And um, I do want to say to you, um, I'm saying this more for my sake than yours, I don't feel great. I woke up this morning with a fever. Uh, I was sick yesterday. Then last night was Emily and Dale's birthday, and we tried to shake it off. I probably got Zade sick because we were sharing a, a video game. Maybe Dave too, so sorry guys. Uh, but I'm I'm here. If this sermon makes no sense, just chalk it up to that and not bad sermon prep. Uh, If it's really good, then ignore what I've just said. Um, But we are looking then at greed. Also, I was telling Shane kind of the topic for today, and he mentioned that uh, a friend of ours who's a pastor said, no one has ever confessed the sin of greed. People come confess all types of sin, but no one ever comes and says, Pastor, I struggle with greed. Yet that really is the sin of our culture, isn't it? So... We'll dive into that as we go forward. So let's pray, and then we will look at uh, Thou shalt not sin. Father, excuse me, Thou shalt not steal. Father, we praise You that um, Your Ten Commandments are actually hopeful. That in that prohibition, that negative, there's a huge positive. And the positive is through Your Son, Jesus, we can have contentment. We can rest in You alone, and we can have freedom from our Um, the slavery we feel to our possessions. But Lord, we need You to open our eyes to understand our own hearts and to understand that we have You as our Heavenly Father, that that would be our source of life, You. Would You help us to this end this morning? In Your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Notes are everywhere. So what is... um, Here's where we're starting. Bubblegum. I remember um, as a kid, I don't have a very good memory of this, but I'm walking in the parking lot. We've just gone to the grocery store. It's my mother and I, and I have a pack of amazing Bubblicious or one of those kind of bubble gums, and I have this in my hand, and she looks at me with horror. Where did you get that? You know, and I got it out of the, you know, the checkout aisle. There's bubble gum all for the taking. <laughs> and it was the look of horror on her face that made me realize, okay, this is probably not a good idea. And I remember going back in, and we found the teller or the, the clerk and, and had to return the gum. It was embarrassing. And it's, I, the reason I thought of that is it's interesting because you think, did they know that they shouldn't steal? I mean, did they really need that to be written down in the Ten Commandments? It's like, and don't steal, you know. The, isn't that something we know innately? And yet, I didn't know that, right, as a child, except I think I did. I have a, I, as I searched my memory, I, I think my mother probably said no. Can I buy this? No. 
so I probably just took it. And there was something in my behavior that said, this is what I want, and I'm going to take it. It's what I think I need to survive. This is what I think I need, and because of my own desire, that's going to trump anything else, and so I walked out with it. And that is what the heart of stealing really is. It's the fact that we think our needs trump the needs of the rightful ownership. And when we look at stealing this morning, and we unpack some of the the issues that go along with it, what we're going to see is that we struggle with being tied to possessions. We really do believe things will get us freedom, right? When you face problems in your life, when you look for solutions, most of the time we're thinking about getting stuff, something new, right? Something, some, some sort of a possession or money or position. And God is saying, as my children, Christians are free from the tyranny of possessions. And there really is a freedom there. Uh, so that's how we're going to go with this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is what is stealing according to the Scripture. Um, and you'll find in Exodus, right after you know, Exodus 20 is where we are, verse 15. In chapter 22, Moses plays out a few ways we steal. And I think the most obvious thing we do is we steal other people's oxen and cattle or things of that nature. In other words, stealing is taking things, right? But the actual uh, root of the, the actual, um, excuse me, we'll go forward. There's other forms of stealing right there in Exodus 22 of negligence. So there's a a place where it says, do not let your cattle tread on your neighbor's property. So that's another way we steal, right? We we just kind of don't care about somebody else. And then what I was going to say a second ago when I got muddled, as I've warned you about, was that some early commentators, like back even in the Reformation, they, they looked at this commandment and they said this was tied to man stealing. Isn't that interesting? In fact, our word for plagiarism is Latin, and it comes from the, the Latin for man-stealing. So when you plagiarize somebody, you're taking their very words. And so, in a way, what they saw was that stealing was, in essence, taking of people. Now, that may seem like a weird stretch, um, but of course, think about the Egyptians or the Israelites themselves coming up out of Egypt. They had been stolen. They had been in slavery. And we know that up until like the last few hundred years, slavery was, was rampant, and some would say it still is. So this idea of taking people isn't far-fetched. And the connection I'm trying to make is that when you steal or rob from somebody, you're actually, in a sense, taking a part of them. Right? Um, so I don't know the story. I just told Emily I was going to share this story. She said, do you know the details? I don't really know them that great. But when she was young, she returned from a trip and she's told our kids, and it scared our girls, they returned to, the, to their house to find that they had been broken into. And when I hear her that story, I, I remember her not really feeling the loss of any item. It wasn't like that was taken from me or I missed that item, but it was the feeling of violation. And if you've ever been robbed or someone has taken something from you, it's that sense that someone has come into your world and they've taken from you, right? Now, there is one form of stealing in the Old Testament that is legal, that is allowed, and it's to steal out of necessity for survival. That if you're starving, if the only way you can survive is to take some food, like off of a grain or whatever, that is lawful. And I would say that I think our view of stealing is every time we steal, it's our sense of trying to survive, even though we really don't need it. Does that, does that make sense? 
We think we need it, so we take it. What are common methods of stealing now? Um, and, and of course, theft. We all know theft. Negligence. But but when you look at like the Westminster Confession and it unpacks this in in the larger catechism, it talks about greed, and that really is a form of stealing, right? Greed. Um, let me look at some Old Testament passages that kind of hint on some of this. Um, I thought I had a list here. I hope I do. Here we go. In Jeremiah 22, the rich man's mansion was built with his neighbor's money since he made his neighbor work for a pittance. So in other words, the stealing there is taking advantage of the worker, right? Another form of stealing you find throughout the Old Testament, deceptive practices of um, measurement of, of money. So you, when you would weigh money, they would deceive and make it weigh, you know, shave off and make it weigh less. That's a form of stealing. Another one that was interesting is, um, and you find this in Proverbs, I've been in sales, so for those of you that are in sales, uh, there's a t- or bartering. Uh, Proverbs 20 says, bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. You know, Oh, I can't accept that price. Oh, I can't. I can only take this price. It's not. And then they walk away. I got a good deal. You know, That's stealing. It's taking advantage. Uh, and when you begin to unpack that, another form of stealing is usury in the Old Testament. That's interest. Um, there have been people who think that all forms of interest are sin, but most, com- like Calvin and many other commentators, have come to say no. There's usury is a type of interest that is to the disadvantage of the borrower. That you're really trying to knock it to them. That it's one thing if I enter into a bank loan knowing the the amount of interest. That's fine. But if I'm in need and you loan me something, and then you begin to charge me so much that it just sinks me, that would be sinful. And so it's taking advantage and ultimately then stealing to make it make sense for because I don't think anyone here is probably maybe one probably statistically two of you steal and I don't know who you are but you're out there so one of you it's like the kleptomania one of you guys is just like where's my stapler oh Mark Penny came in he raised his hand that's why I picked on him but the rest of you if I may we struggle with with waste and with greed and, and at the heart of what we really, I think, are going to drive at this morning is that we struggle with the fact that we think our possessions are our own. Does that make sense? The Bible talks about stewardship. That's one of those Christian words that makes 85% of you go, oh, and the eyes just roll back in your head. Stewardship, here we go. And then in a minute, we'll pass the offering plates again. We should do that. No, um... Stewardship is, this, is the notion that God is the one who provides. And so uh, all of our possessions come from him, and we, we steward them for God and not for ourselves. Now, uh, here we go. I want to read a passage um, to kind of build on this idea of stewardship and contentment from 1 Timothy 6. I would have read this in the beginning, but I really wanted to wait till this part. It's not the basis of the entire sermon. But 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Now, there is great gain in godliness and with, or with contentment. Let me say that again. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's one of the most misunderstood, I think, verses. I've heard people quote that. The love of money is the root of all evil. Have you all ever heard that? It's The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The, the idea being, if you could parcel out the different kinds of evil that exist, the love of money can lead to each one of those kinds of evil. Okay, So can other things, but the love of money certainly is an issue. And all through Scripture, Jesus is constantly warning us of money, right? Man cannot serve both the Lord and mammon, right? You cannot serve both God and money. And yet, all of us really think we can. I'm guilty. I think we all are, to some degree, at different times. I'm not trying to implicate you if you don't feel like that's your particular sin struggle, but we really do have the mindset that possessions can cure us. So last week we were talking about sex, and I was talking about, for those of you who weren't here and didn't feel the awkwardness, I'm going to keep saying it just so you... Um, we talked about how marriage is the, th- is the relationship and sex is part of that, but it's not the thing. It, and how the world has sort of reversed the order. And I would say that's equally true of possessions. That what we do in our culture is so often we think about, think about just those of you in college or, or those of you even thinking about college. You start off with what kind of earnings do I want to make, right? And then you start looking at what could earn that. Parade Magazine had an article this week on what people make. And it went through and showed all the salaries of people. And because of printing costs, they had to do some black and white pictures and some color. All the color pictures were the billionaires. All the black and white were like 36,000, Janet or whatever. And then it would be like a really good color picture right in the middle of all the other black and white ones. And that was the one that made all the money. And the way that I've, I've read those before, you've seen them before, what do people make, right? And the reason is that the idea is, oh, I need to pick what I want to become based on the salary it gives. That is completely reversed. God has given you gifts and opportunities based on who you are and who He is, and He is calling us to faithfully pursue those talents, and then He will reward us and bless us accordingly. But what we do is we go, I want to make 250 k and that narrows it down to these five things. And then we go after that, Right? Anyone with me on that? Anyone's trying that? Okay. That's why I'm a pastor. (laughs) So, we've reversed the order. We are putting the cart before the horse. And Paul tells us there's great gain in contentment. In Philippians, he says, I know how to have plenty and I know how to have want. And here's the caveat. I want you to please hear me. It is not wrong to have plenty. If God blesses you with plenty, that is good. That is okay. We're not talking about how much money's in your bank or what God's blessed us with. I really want to make sure we're talking about our affections and our view of these things. Because the rich man can be just as sinful as the poor man. You've heard the line, the difference between the rich person and the poor person is the rich person, excuse me, the poor person thinks money will solve all his problems. The rich person knows it won't. Okay, so both of us, rich or poor, are looking at money wrongly, if, or can be. But Paul's not saying it's a problem to have wealth. He's just simply saying, don't make that your end. A few verses later, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. He doesn't say charge them to give it all away and not be rich anymore. He just says charge them not to be haughty. That's a word we don't use a lot. 
right? Arrogant. Uh, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, what is, are we putting the cart before the horse? What is your view of money? And when you look back at the Old Testament, there's this one concept I want to bring to light that might help us grasp a right relationship to our, to our possessions. And that is the concept of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, which I don't think they ever saw. Correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas. Did they ever do it? Anyone? Doug? Anyone? Who's else? Aaron? I think historians would say it never happened. But it was laid out in the law. So we're studying the life of Moses, okay? Rescue from Egypt. Now we're at Mount Sinai. Ten Commandments. All the law comes later in the same moment. And then they wander around for 40 years. And then they enter the promised land. Moses will not enter with them. Joshua will. And God gives the 12 tribes land. And they start off on the same playing ground or playing field, right? And then over time, of course, based on different things, ultimately on God's providence and on the talents of the people, they will have different amounts of money and different things, right? But the year of Jubilee, you restore everything back to what it was at the beginning. That was the idea. And it's a year of celebration. Now, if you knew, if we were doing this in America, that in, in three years you were going to go all the way back to like your original setting, would you pursue money the same way? I was kind of playing around with that in my mind, like, what would that do differently? Some would go, well, I'm just going to squander what I have on myself, right? And that could work, because then you don't have to return it to other people. But the problem is in three years you better be ready to start living life again with constraints. I'm talking now if someone got really wealthy and they had servants and everything was easy. All of a sudden, you know, at the year of Jubilee, are you going to be ready to live again like in the beginning? Does that, is that weird? Does that make sense? This is the kind of thing you come up with and you're like, this will preach really well. And everyone's like, I have no idea. Well, should I just close it there? The idea is that they were always to have the mindset that everything we do is connected to the stewardship of what God's given us and to the love of our neighbor, right? And so if I have jubilee in my mind this year that's coming, then I will have a right view of my possessions, okay? And for the Christian and for the church, we know that jubilee is heaven. And one of the things, we talked about this in our new members class today, one of the things we make, the mistakes we make over and over, I think, is we forget that this life is not the end. And that sounds so dumb. Of course, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm at church, of course I know we're going to heaven. But, every, but when you look at how you treat money and how you treat possessions, my guess is you're going to see a major division between that and other things because that becomes its own end, right? Possessions and job and savings. And, and heaven is a sort of distant thing that may or, you're not really sure what it's going to look like. But what if, what if the return of Christ in, the, in the, the new heavens and the new earth began to inform everything you did? And all of a sudden, I was see, seeing my life in the context of developing a readiness for the future kingdom. And everything I did with my possessions and everything that came my way, that was my mindset. That would be different, wouldn't it? And yet that is the calling of, of, the, of, uh, of the gospel. And so Paul says, 
If we have food and clothing, with these will we be content. Are you content with food and clothing? I'm not. I get nervous. I want food. I want to know I've got food laid out, you know, for a while. I want savings, right? Don't you all want stuff to kind of feel comfortable? We want car, cars and, and houses and everything else because, not because they're wrong, but because they define us. And the, we allow them to define us, and it begins to erode at our trust in Christ alone. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I just have to be very careful to ask you, is that your story? Are you putting your hope in money and in possessions and in riches in any way? Because if you are, then Christ profits you nothing. Now, I'm not saying if you're a Christian that you've lost your salvation, but you would have to ask, to what degree is Christ my hope, right? Um, when, to what degree is He what I long for? To what degree is heaven my hope? To what degree is my heavenly Father my longing? I think Thaddeus' longing is, uh, is mommy. And that's, by the way, I love, we can have noises and children. I'm not criticizing. I just, I needed a moment. <laughs> um, okay. So, in the couple of verses that just bring this to light, one is the rich fool. Have you, if you've read the parable of the rich fool, it's stunning because he has produce. It grows up. It's, it's a, he's a farmer. It's a, an abundant crop. And so he does the most absurd thing, and he tears down his current barn. Just tears them down and rebuilds new gigantic ones, which sounds so wasteful. And then he puts all that produce in there and he feels satisfied. Right? And what does the end of the parable say? That very evening, that very night, his soul will be demanded of him. And that sounds punitive, like God's punishing him for building those. Actually, maybe that's what's happening. I think what it's saying is he made the mistake of thinking that he was in control. It's the most, it, that's the foolishness. It's foolish to think you, you know, for Barack Obama, you didn't make that. Remember when Barack Obama said that? And every Republican just became irate. Look at this Democratic president saying that we didn't build our own businesses and all that. But it's true. I mean, you didn't build that. Um, well, I'm watching the Masters. I'm going to watch it this afternoon. I love the Masters. But it's just dawning on me like, how I was watching this video of Jet Nicholas just kind of cruising in. And they, did anyone see that YouTube video? Really good. He's just kind of cruising in. Everyone's like, Jack, hi. And he's kind of coming down Magnolia Lane. And all these people are just waving at him. They're like the police officers and so forth, security guards. And he gets out, and he's treated like royalty. And he's awesome. He's a great golfer. I'm, I'm treading very carefully with the pro golfer right in front of me. But I want to say, Jack, while you're not here, countless people are, are grooming this place. And if you've ever seen Life After Humans, like Augusta National would look horrible in like six months if they did nothing to it. You know, like in a year or two, you would not even know it was a golf course. It would be weed infested. That it takes constant effort of so many people with so many gifts and so much money to make it perfect. And, and I just think the point is, are we seeing that economy when we watch something like the Masters? Or when we, when, when we receive money like the rich fool, are we going, wow, God bless me my workers were helpful. They planted the right crops. They, they did the right thing. How can I return the blessing? How can I be a part of that economy 
in Christ rather than, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. That's the key here. Are you connecting your possessions to Christ? Are you connecting your possessions to the providence of God? So, um, I'm kind of meandering. I'm going to close this this way. I'm going to move us toward a close. That's the director's cut. That's what's happening. Um, Jesus comes to earth. He's the first human to walk on earth that owned anything. Right? He's the only one. He made everything. You know, the, the scripture where he says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Everybody else has a pillow. Jesus invented the pillow. He made that. He made you to need a pillow. And yet he didn't have a pillow. Right? He's the one that owned the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the stars. And yet he gave it all up for you and I. Right? He became poor that we may become rich. And the message this morning is not, if you're a Christian, become boring and poor and have a mundane life. The message this morning is, quit thinking that the things that are going to save you, money, possessions, houses, etc., are that great because they're going to all fall apart. They're going to all fail you. The only thing you have is Christ. And are we longing for heaven? And if that can become our mindset in Christ, then we can have contentment. But it takes, wow, it takes repentance. It takes you actually going away from this discussion and going, where am I placing my hope, right? See, it's easy to talk about sex. You all thought that would be a hard topic. This is a hard topic. Because don't touch my money, right? That's the American mantra. Don't tell me how to spend my money. So, as a conclusion, uh, Dave Ramsey, everyone loves Dave Ramsey. Uh, when I, I read one of his books, The Total Money Makeover, and then when I got into RUF, they gave them to us. I think they thought, okay, all these RUF campus ministers are in debt, so they need this book. I think the interns get the book, right? No, they used to. They've stopped doing it. Probably because people who go through Dave Ramsey become fanatic, and they're like, I don't want to hear another intern. Just kidding. Okay. And I, and I, by the way, I like Dave Ramsey. I like what he has to offer. And, I, and we, have, we have debt, and so it's, it's helpful to take his principles. But here's one point I want to make, is I find that sometimes we can make it such a big deal to be debt-free. And it is wonderful, okay, um, to be debt-free, or so I've been told. Um, <laughs> But the problem is, I'm going to back up now and read us a passage from Ephesians that, that highlights this. It's a long illustration here with the scripture in the middle. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And you read that and you go, Paul, that is the stupid... I mean, slaves? He's not because he likes slavery. Paul doesn't like slavery. But Paul is saying slavery exists. Christians, he's writing to the Roman world, Christians that are in that position don't make being free from slavery everything. If you can avail yourself, go for it. But make Jesus everything. Make that your story. Right? To the point, so the gospel is so big that if I'm in debt, I need to work on getting out of debt, 
But that's not everything. Jesus is everything. Do you see where I'm going with the Dave Ramsey thing? And here's the point. Dave, at the end of your time where you finally get debt free, uh, Dave Ramsey says, you know, a, a lot of people will go on Facebook and you, you're, you give a shout out. What's the term? Thank you, thank you, Stephen. Freedom! You paint your face blue on one side. I think it was Emily in a Facebook post that, did you say this in a Facebook post once? But, but Christians, we do it a little differently. The gospel says on the front end, day number one, that we're debt free. And we can yell that from, at the very beginning. And we can live a life of being debt free in Christ and content in Christ. Debt, real physical debt is bad because we're spending money we don't have. Being a miser and storing money away is said in Scripture also to be bad, the rich fool, right? There's lots of sin with money, but in Christ we're debt-free. We have all the riches of Christ. Let that be uh, uh, what Stephen just saying. Let's all sing that as we walk out into the world around us. We are debt-free in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we can have contentment because we are truly debt-free, that even a slave, as awful as it sounds, can glorify you, Christ. Let us have that mindset. We don't want to be slaves physically, but Lord, we are, because we've become addicted to our possessions, addicted to the notion that money and, and the things of this world will save us. And to that degree, Lord, we are slaves. But we pray that you would free us from that in Christ, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to the riches we have in our adoption. Heavenly Father, that you love us, that you are proud of us, that you cherish us, and that you've provided for us. Lord, let us love your provision. Let us be thankful for the things you give us, rather than scornful. I pray, Lord, we would teach this to our children, that we'd believe it ourselves, that we do not need anything to be complete but you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.